Matthew 6, Jesus said, Whenever you pray, be sincere and not like the pretenders who love the attention they receive while praying before others in the meetings and on the street corners. Believe me, they've already received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your innermost chamber and be alone with Father God, praying to him in secret. And your Father, who sees all you do, will reward you openly. When you pray, there is no need to repeat empty phrases, praying like the Gentiles do, for they expect God to hear them because of their many words. There is no need to imitate them, since your Father already knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray like this. Our beloved Father, dwelling in the heavenly realms, may the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn. Manifest your kingdom realm and cause your every purpose to be fulfilled on earth just as it is in heaven. We acknowledge you as our provider of all that we need each day. Forgive us the wrongs we have done as we ourselves release forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Rescue us every time we face tribulation and set us free from evil. For you are the king who rules with power and glory forever. Amen. And when you pray, make sure you forgive the faults of others so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you. But if you withhold forgiveness from others, your Father withholds forgiveness from you. Thank you, Scott. Good morning. So we're continuing in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And um, <clears throat> I put a few, oh, I don't need this. <laughs> Kendra's giving me hand signals over there. I put a few quotes from this wonderful book by Bob Mumford that we've mentioned each week. Um, we're up to around chapter 10 in it, about halfway through. And there's two copies left, and it's $10. So, uh, again, if you'd like to see some of the gems that are in that book, I put a few of them in the bulletin there. I'll, I'll just reference them in a moment. Um, so, <clears throat> nine, eight times in that uh, passage that Scott just read is the word pray. So, when you pray, while praying, um, this is how to pray. Um, you don't need to do this when you pray. Do this when you pray. Uh, Jesus is very practical, giving instructions, saying this is, this is an example of how to pray. Here's a model for you. So, so Jesus just, um, it was very natural for him to be in fellowship or communion or relationship with God the Father, and he just expected that for us too. Of course, we know a lot of things get in our way. Our minds get in our way. Our bodies get in our way. Um, the world gets in the way, whatever. But we can always come back to him and as we've sung this morning, his goodness overflows with us. As Pastor Nick said at the, in, during the call to worship, this is the season of Easter. It's the, the second Sunday after Easter, beginning of the third week of Easter season. And <clears throat> we want to we wanna dwell a little bit on that today. We're going to talk a little bit about Easter today because it is important for us to, again, remember the setting in which we see the disciples immediately after Christ rose from the dead and how that changed the world through them and also 
to see the setting of Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount speaking to him. So uh, that's, that's what we wanted to do. We want to look at the setting of Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount and then jump to the setting after Jesus rose from the dead and what happened, what changed in them, and then apply that to us. What can change in us as we sit uh, in his presence, like Kendra was saying, with wordless prayer, with heart prayer? What can happen in us to be transformed, be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and change the world? So would you pray with me again? Father, we thank you, Lord. You said... <laughs> through your son when we pray. So we're praying right now. We're asking your help in Jesus' name, amen. Um, so I titled this message, How Shall We Come and Go as Worshippers of the Risen Christ? And uh, just those little notes that are in the bulletin uh, from Bob's book where, again, I called them gems. Motive or intent determines the ultimate good or evil in every transaction of life. And the second one says it's not what we do, but why, why we do it. Um, do you... Sometimes ask yourself, why am I doing this? <laughs> um, the third one, don't ever cease from doing something because someone is watching. <laughs> that's, a, that's a clue right there. If I, if I want to stop doing something because somebody's watching or, or, um, or don't ever do something because someone is watching, <laughs> right? <laughs> it works both ways. Um, and then uh, Bob talked also in that chapter about building our lives carefully you know, an athlete has to work his way up. I don't know if there's anybody here who's into bodybuilding or sports, but you have to work your way up. You have to loosen those muscles and stretch them out, warm them up, and, and, and you have to gradually do your strength training. Um, you, can't, you can't just run out and, and try to tackle an NFL um, running back, right? You end up in the hospital unless you uh, are already in very good shape and know what you're doing. So, so we grow into things and God is very aware of us growing into things and uh, us learning line by line or precept upon precept as it says in scripture. But the, the point is um, we, we, we grow, we develop, and we don't try to be something that we're not. We don't try to be where we're not, who we're not. We, um, we, walk with Jesus and he helps us day by day. Um, so take inventory, understand with humility. Okay, here's where I am. Here's where I'm not. And, and then learn one lesson at a time. All right. So God will openly reward every gift with the right motive. And look, motive matters. Would you say that motive matters in the, in the, in the church? There's something called personal intentions. What are my personal intentions? And, and that's part of a daily prayer process in one particular wing of the church, that that is something they emphasize. Every time you are practicing prayer, what are, what are my personal intentions as, as part of that prayer? Consider Cain and Abel. Did they have the same motive when they brought a sacrifice to God? It doesn't look like they had the same motive. One was accepted by God and one wasn't. Consider Aaron's sons. Remember uh, when Moses had set up the tabernacle, everything was being dedicated. There were very specific instructions about how to approach God, how to go into the holy of holies, and how to, who should be offering the particular ingredients of the incense that were brought before God. I'm not going to... I. I can't go into a theological explanation of why that really mattered, all right? But 
two of Aaron's sons, his oldest two sons, were struck dead because they took it upon themselves to mix up some incense and go in. And the scripture says they offered strange fire before God. I don't want to offer strange fire to God. So I, I, I want to pay attention to when I'm praying, how does he say to pray? What, are the, what is the model that he gave me? I don't think God's going to strike me dead. I don't think God's going to strike Reuben dead today if he, if he you know, misspeaks during prayer. But, that, but, but God is very aware of our intentions and why we are approaching him in any particular moment. So another one was David and his wife, Michael, who was Saul's daughter. And when David first brought the ark into the city of Jerusalem, the ark of the covenant, which was God representative to the people, God's presence, God's law, God's as redemption history, God's authority. And um, he wasn't paying attention to how God had said to carry the ark. So they put it on an ox cart and they had priests and Levites, you know, walking along and, and they thought, oh, this is good, this is good. Until the ox stumbled, the cart started to turn over and Uzziah reached out his hands to protect the ark from falling. Sounds like a good thing, doesn't he? But he died there in that moment. Why? Again, one of the strangest things that would happen. I mean, he wasn't a bad person. He wasn't evil. He wasn't trying to steal the ark. It wasn't like that movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark, when the, you know, the, the bad guys <laughs> uncovered the ark. Oh, the power. I got it under myself. <laughs> you know, and he blows up. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, spoiler alert if you haven't seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. But, but anyway, so here, here so, so, so David immediately stopped the, stopped the parade, stopped the celebration. What's wrong? And they went and they inquired, God, how do we approach you? How do we do this? And, oh, the priests are supposed to carry the ark on poles on their shoulders. Okay, let's try it again, boys. And so there they come back into the city later on, and David is so exhilarated and so happy, he starts to dance. In fact, he takes off the kingly robes. He's the king, right? He takes off the princely robes. And, and, he, and, and there he is just dancing and celebrating. And Michael, his wife, is watching from the window, despising him. And he comes in and he says, and, and sarcastically she says something to him, well, didn't the king exalt himself in front of the people today? In other words, you made a fool of yourself. You embarrassed me. And God closed her womb and she never had a baby after that. Her life became unfruitful, unproductive. Why? Because she, she despised the joy and rejoicing that David was displaying in worship as an example. Because she did not have the heart of a worshiper. So the last thing he said there from his book, prayer is to be upward to God, not outward to man, not outward to men. <laughs> uh, I've been guilty of that many times in my, um, I, I hope I don't do it as much now as I did early on. But anyway, sometimes people give details to God like he doesn't know, you know, <laughs> like 
Now, Lord, you know Mary has been to the doctor seven times. In fact, she just went yesterday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And, and so, Lord, we're bringing Mary to you. you know, they, finally, they get to the prayer, you know, like, oh, I didn't know that. Thank you, John, for telling me that. Or, or, or this one, you know, where people preach. To, <laughs> when they pre now, Lord, you know Reuben here. He hasn't been, you know, you know what I mean? And they start, and they start preaching. I'm sorry to use you an example. <laughs> That's what you get for sitting close to the preacher. Anyway, you know, the, oh, you know, you know, John here hasn't been tithing or, you know, Mary hasn't been very good at, at, I don't know, whatever, you know, and, 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 and poor Mary and John are sitting there like, Oh, let's just embarrass me in front of everybody, you know? Why don't you just talk to me instead of pretending to talk to God when you're actually talking to me? Do you ever feel that way? It's like, it's like when, and I'm sure I've done that. Probably none of you ever did that. <laughs> Prayers are good when they're short, clear, and to the point, and directed to God. Can you say Amen. Bob Mumford calls them arrow prayers, you know, just, you know, got it. He gives the example in the book of, of A.W. Tozer, who was invited to pray a prayer at, at, uh, at somebody's funeral. Now, if you're familiar with A.W. Tozer, he's, a, he's, a, he's recognized as a man of God and a, a, a great author of books um, and, and devotionals. And, and so I'm sure people, oh boy, here comes A.W. Tozer. We're going to get a good prayer. And he gets up at the funeral and he says, God, we thank you that you are the God of both sides of the Jordan. Amen. And sits down. And everybody goes, what? It's not what we do. It's why we do it. You could say, well, it's how you do it too. Well, yeah. How you do it though is informed by the why? Right. Okay. So I also put in an, an entry from a journal and you can read that later. Okay. You don't need to read it now. And I, I, it doesn't matter where it came from. All right. So in Matthew five through seven, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's go to that setting. All right. You with me? Let's imagine now. Can you imagine with me? There's the crowd. Here's the disciples close to Jesus. And Jesus is what? Is he on a horse? Is he flying through the air? He's sitting down. Now, I don't know, did somebody bring a chair? Is there a rock there? That Jesus, just as he sat down. Maybe he sat all the way down. But the, the point is that Jesus sits down. He's the judge. He's the teacher. He's the Lord. He's, he's the one who's giving the instructions about his kingdom because he is the king. Now, he's not trying to put anything on. He just, that's who he is. And he has cast out demons, healed the sick, cleansed the lepers. He's opening the eyes of the blind. He's commanding the wind and the waves. He, he has the power to change stones into bread and jump off of the pinnacle and, and be saved. He has, he has all authority in heaven and earth. But there he sits with us, just talking to us and saying, this is how to live. This is, this is what my kingdom is all about, about loving one another and about being free from, from uh, reactions to when somebody tries to take advantage of you. Here's how to pray. Here's, here's how to deal with lust and impure um, um, visualizations and memories. This is Jesus. And he 
is sitting there as the teacher above all the Pharisees. He's the living word made flesh above all the scribes who are responsible to write and keep the scripture. He sits as judge above the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling body in the religious Jewish community. He is the Lord. He's the son of God. He's Messiah. He's Christ. He's the anointed king of all kings. And he's sitting there as savior of the whole world for all time. He knows he's going to be the lamb of God who takes away our sins and there he sits with the with the crowd and with his disciples and says here's how to live in my kingdom and he gives his commands now hold on to that setting for a moment and and jump ahead about three years later to the upper room same friends of jesus same followers in the upper room, terrified, heartbroken, confused. These apostles and disciples, they've been hiding since Friday night, and now on that Sabbath after the crucifixion, they are still there, and then it is now Sunday morning, the first day of the week, and Mary Magdalene hurries into the room to tell them that she's seen the Lord alive. So Peter and John, well, they jump up and they, they run out and they go to the tomb themselves and they don't see Jesus. They find the grave cloth neatly folded like a napkin. And that indicated that the person who was there is finished and left. Neatly folded the napkin, put it down. I'm gone. See, a servant recognized that if, if at the table, if, if the person that they were waiting on folded their napkin and placed it there neatly on the table, that the servant could clear the table. It was over. It's finished. It's done. If the napkin wasn't neatly folded, but maybe just placed there in a little, in a little pile or not, then the servant wouldn't touch the food because they know, oh, the, the, the person isn't finished yet. Peter and John look in. It's finished. It's done. It's accomplished. And Jesus is not there. Later that same evening, two more followers of Christ burst into the room declaring that Jesus walked and talked with them all the way to their home and they report that Jesus opened their eyes when he broke the bread for them and, and he opened their minds to understand the scripture that he had been expounding to them and then he disappeared. So, so they said, well, we, we, we can't keep this to ourselves. We've got we to gotta walk all the way back. So they go all the way back, and they get there in the evening, and they come into the room, and they're telling the disciples, and can you imagine the disciples sitting there? You know, Mary comes, and Peter and John can't find Jesus, but Mary, you know, the, the women, Jesus did talk to them. And then here's these two guys that went home, and Jesus talks to them, and, and, and the disciples are just sitting there thinking, I don't know, I want to believe you know, I, 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 I hope this is real. I hope it's not a ghost. I hope uh, it's not just, you know, a, 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 an, an imagination or something or somebody pretending. Incredulous, in wonderment, wanting to believe, wanting to know it's true, and suddenly Jesus appears to them. And, 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 and though they're, they're mystified, they're, they're shocked, and yet, yet they're, they're filled with joy. Can you imagine the one who sat before them on the Sermon on the Mount, called them to be his apostles, walked with them for three years, ate, drank with them, healed them, spoke to them, corrected them, 
They watched him do all these miracles. Then he's dead. He's gone. They're hiding, terrified. And here he is. Yes, he told them, I'm going to rise again three days from, from the time that they kill me. But they had nothing in their presuppositions to imagine what was actually going to happen. You see, Jews had all kinds of beliefs about the resurrection. You know, the soul is departed and somehow keeps on living. The, the body someday is going to be changed. Something's going to happen or maybe there's nothing at the end. You find all the, all the different kinds of beliefs are around today. But nobody, nobody had an under, had, had, there wasn't a, a something in them that said, oh, we know what's going to happen. He's going to rise from the dead. He's going to have an indestructible physical body. He's going to eat and drink. He's going to be able to pass through walls. He'll be able to fly. He'll be able to, I mean, they had no expectation that was going to happen. And all of a sudden, here he is. And they go, oh, you know, and he says, peace be to you. And he says, um, it's really me uh, in the flesh. That's where that's, that statement comes from. It's me in the flesh. All right. And he, and he says, look, you, you want to touch my hands? You want to put, you want to put your, your, your fingers in the wounds on my feet and my hands? Oh, by the way, you have anything to eat? And so they, they what do we got? Oh, we got some baked fish. You think he likes fish? I, I don't know. Can he eat? I don't know. Is he a ghost? Is he, is he real? And can you imagine? Here. And, 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 and so he takes it and he eats it in front of them. And they're there. How did he do that? He, he just appeared. He wasn't here. Yet he's real. He's physical. He's, he's risen from the dead. It looks like Jesus. He's still got the wounds in his. This is not a ghost. This is really, this is really happening. Can you imagine? Can you imagine any wonder that over the next 40 days he taught them out of the scriptures, this is real. This is my kingdom, and you have this to look forward to. This is coming to you. You're coming to this. This is just the beginning. It's just a foretaste. Wow. This is us. I never watched the TV show, but I'm really curious. <laughs> so, good, good show. All right, we have a recommendation from... All right. Now... Now, um, this is just incredible to me to be in this setting and try to imagine what it, what it was like for, for these um, followers of Jesus on, on this particular moment with, with him and over the next 40 days and how, again, he instructed them about the kingdom of God and then there they are in the upper room and it says there's 120 of them. I'm thinking that their upper room may have been about this big because you could put about 120 people in here and they're there and they're praising and they're praying and they're waiting because he said, wait, wait for the promise of the father. So jump to that again. Here's the guys sitting on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus teaching them. Oh, yeah, you got that? Yeah, this is good. This is good stuff. Yeah, I like this. Good message. And, and then in the upper room, terrified, and then he appears, and they're overjoyed, and then he instructs them, and then he says, you're not ready yet. You're not ready to change the world. They're, they'll kill you pretty quickly, and, or you'll just be afraid again, hiding. So you got to have the power of the Holy Spirit. So he says, wait. So there they are waiting. The Holy Spirit comes on them, and boom. In a matter of years, they turned the world upside down. The whole known world begins to 
be impacted by the message that Jesus is alive. Jesus is raised from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changed the world like it changed those men and women. Now, I suggest to us fellow sinners, <laughs> all right, I hope you're not offended by that if I call you us fellow sinners, all right? Nobody said amen or oh me. I <laughs> the Jewish people had some customs about how they would go up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, you know, is elevated and the temple, they had the temple steps. And it's believed they would oftentimes sing the uh, Psalms of Ascent. That's, uh, if you want to look it up, it's Psalms 120 to 134. And those Psalms possibly functioned as a, as a way of them preparing their hearts and, and acknowledging, oh, he's our hope. Oh, look to the hills um, out of the depths. Um, he's blessing our family. We're going up. Um, it, it's, uh, our mouths are filled with laughter. And uh, these, these, these are, those are some quotes from the Psalms. There, there's there's that, that sense of here's how to prepare. Or look at Psalm 100. We used to sing it. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Ba ba bum. Oh ye, oh ye lands. Serve the, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. You know that, right? Yeah, we used to sing that, you know. We didn't do the ba ba bum. Ba ba bum. Anyway, you can <laughs> we could gather around the piano and sing it later. Anyway, um, I, so so um, the Jews had some knowledge, remembering how David brought the ark in the wrong way and then brought it in the right way, and how the psalm said, "Enter in with thanksgiving and praise," and the psalms of ascent. They had they had a sense that there's a reverent way to to come into God's presence, right? And, 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 and that it, it's, it's, uh, it's to be, that there was something to pay attention to. Now, I, I suggest that we also would be mindful of the diversity of background and experience of the church worldwide and, and throughout history because many different groups have developed their own ways of gathering together in worship or of practicing private prayer, right? You understand what I'm saying? There's a great diversity, and some of them don't like each other. Some of them criticize one another. O older mainline traditional denominations, which I was raised in one of them, have an atmosphere of quiet reflection, often with an organ prelude uh, uh, as a time for people to enter the sanctuary and quietly be ushered to a pew. Isn't that a funny name to call something you're going to sit in anyway uh, and, 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 and so they're sitting there quietly and you know if, if you're going to talk to somebody you might say hi how are you doing good good to meet you, you know and, and there's a reverence and a quietness and, there, and there's beauty in the, in the room flowers and colors it's very nice very nice now, some, some uh, traditions employ sign and symbol and gesture as people enter. Worshippers touch the, the blessed water as they come in, reminding them of their own water baptism. They, 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 they bow before the cross before they sit down, and they, they make the sign of the cross, which historically in the church was seen as a weapon of warfare. It's not, it's not just a religious thing. 
oh, if I mention, oh, I, I have to do that. No, the, the, in, historically in the church, especially in the early church, remember they're being hounded, they're being crucified, they're being chased down and, and thrown into jail and persecuted. There, the sign of the cross was a sign of deliverance, of power, of Christ, of his resurrection and his victory over evil. So, feel free. That's not your tradition. It's not my tradition. I, I, I often make the sign of the cross. Um, I'm a little bit embarrassed to do it in front of people who might say, what are you, Catholic? You know, or, you know, you're Orthodox or something? You know, why are you doing that? You know? <laughs> so, so, you know, I kind of hide it like, <clears throat> you know. <laughs> if, I don't know. Anyway. Now, our tradition is different, right? Our, our tradition is based on the joyful, friendly interaction, eating together and drinking coffee and, 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 and you know, snacking and sharing stories about our week. And, oh, your clothing looks very nice. Glad to see you. Uh, and uh, how's that new job coming? Greeting one another with warmth and affection. We used to hug one another. Gee, we used to shake hands. <laughs> you, you know, hey, how you doing? Oh, great. Not too close now. Okay. And, and, you know, um, there's affection and there's friendship. There's a sense of family. That's, that's wonderful. And there's cell phones. And, and, the, and <laughs> now, now, I suggest both approaches are valid. It's not that one's wrong and, one, and the other's right. Do you hear what I'm saying? In fact, the richness of both of them combined together would be lovely that we could come in and have that sense of family. And then when Pastor Nick gets up to call to worship, a, 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 a reverence and a, and a hush and an acknowledgement that the risen Christ is coming. The risen Christ is present. We came here to be in front of him, to be before him and to worship him. And, 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 and you can feel a shift in the room and the atmosphere begins to change. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's entirely different than, you know, like it's just kind of saunter in and the, uh, oh, I'm out of the camera now, aren't I? I you know, kind of saunter in and I'm, now, I, now look, I'll, please allow me to do this, okay? Please allow me to talk, all right? Um, you know, I come in, and I'm late, and I'm greeting everybody, and, hey, George, good to see you. And I'm just unaware. Oh, oh, Kendra's already into the third song. Oh, I guess I should kind of be quiet. Do you understand what I'm saying? How, how much of a distraction that is? How that shows just a lack of awareness of, of why we actually did come. I didn't really come for the coffee and the prepackaged sweet bun. Although, although, you know, the coffee is great. Sweet buns, you know, if you have a sweet tooth, those are great too. I, I didn't just come to see people I haven't seen all week, although it is good to see people we haven't seen, right? Great to have MJ here today. If you don't know MJ, she's... Uh, a dear, dear friend of ours, and um, we have many wonderful memories together. So, and we pray God's blessing on you as you uh, are making this transition to Colorado. Uh, and uh, we're excited for you, and, and we know that there will be good things. Um, so, so all of that is a part. But, the, but then, but then, to know I came here prepared to worship. I came here to meet Jesus Christ. Now, children don't. You know, children, you know, I mean, gosh. <laughs> I mean, 
My dad was a pastor. And I, I mean, I was a kid. You know, I, I didn't go into the, I didn't go to church thinking, the glory of God is, is displayed. You know, when I was whatever, seven or eight or nine years old, I don't remember. I remember my dad taking me out during the sermon or during the church service into the vestibule. <laughs> now, I can laugh about it now. You'll, you'll, you're going to be horrified. But he said, you behave yourself or I'm going to beat the devil out of you. <laughs> oh, now I'm really in the mood to worship. But, but, that, but that, was part of my, that was part of my experience growing up. So we don't want to beat the devil out of anybody. Now, but again, children, you don't expect a child to come in and, and have an awareness and an understanding. No, no, they, they don't. Or, or a new Christian, you know, somebody who, who, who doesn't have any experience, you know, um, um, uh, of, of any of the other ways of, of worship. So here we are. This is... This is who we are, we're a mixed lot, if you will, a mixed, a mixed group of people. But as we grow and as we mature, the resurrection of Jesus Christ becomes more impacting and the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, when you pray, begins to be more of our practice. When I pray, oh, prayer is a really big deal. Again, eight times in those couple of verses. When you pray, while praying, here's how to pray. When you pray, don't you don't have to do that. So it's a big, it's it's a it's a big emphasis. And the disciples even said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. So he said, Well, here's a, here's the model. I'll give you this model. So um, Ezekiel 44 is a very interesting chapter. In in verse five, is this verse? Give attention to entering the temple and to the exits. In other words, know how to enter and know how to leave. And there was a specific group of people called the sons of Zadok. And, and, and God, through the prophet Ezekiel, said to the sons of Zadok, because you were faithful, because you were faithful, you are the ones who are going to be drawing near to me, coming in, with the fat of the offering and drawing close to me in the sacrifice. Others can minister outside where all the noise and the smells and the animals are being sacrificed and, is, and there's, you know, flies and whatever. Others can be out there. But you, you, I choose to come close to me because you've been faithful in your sacrifice and worship. You didn't mix mix in it other things now I, I just want to list some practical things if I can do that all right <clears throat> when when we when we come here's here's some suggestions all right for us every time we open the the book the word we're reminded that Jesus is the living word He's more than the words on the page. He's the living word made flesh and rose again from the dead. Every time we handle the bread and the cup, which, which we don't have here this morning, the, the, that Jesus said, this is my body and my blood. Every time we draw near to him, there's more than just a wafer made out of whatever they make those wafers out of. Who knows? And, and, and the grape juice or wine 
And if you keep those little cups long enough, it becomes fermented. I know that from personal experience. Anyway, <laughs> handling the scripture rightly, handling the communion elements. Every time we are a part of a water baptism, every time we open our mouths to give thanks or lift our voice in praise or worship, every time we experience the awe of nature, the beauty of the world around us, the wonder of science, the diversity of animals in the plant kingdom, every time we are moved with a love beyond ourselves or a peace that passes understanding, every time we forgive someone or share or go be with someone or reach out to those in need, every time we experience some deliverance or victory over sin, every time we realize we're being changed, every aspect of our physical and soul and spiritual life is affected and impacted forever by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the sure and present hope that we too will be resurrected just as he has been. We too will be alive forever with all those who believe. And we will have new, immortal, indestructible bodies in a perfect new heaven and new earth. Think of these things when you open the book, when you come to worship, when you're preparing for, for prayer, when you come, when the elements of communion are, are, are displayed or water baptism is presented, think of these things, what God has done for us. This is why we worship and pray and gather and go into the world. This is how we overcome suffering and fear. This is why our brothers and sisters in other countries who are experiencing horrible persecution if you follow what's going on in the news, who are deprived, who are tortured, who are killed, murdered, who have family members, who have to hide in the bush when Boko Haram comes into their village to, to raid and then who comes back and sees who's, who's still alive and what's left. Why can they overcome such horrible persecution? Why can they have hope? Those who are in vile dungeons... How can, they, how can we overcome fear or sin or discouragement and look beyond what we feel and think and believe that Jesus is alive, he's with us, and so shall we always be with the Lord. And nothing, nothing, nothing in this world can separate us from this hope. So we praise and we glorify God and we sing and we pray and, and we, we gather together and, and we, we, we spend time thinking with just our hearts being quiet and our mouths being still. We ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, so let me, I just made a little list here. How should we apply this hope in the setting of the Sermon on the Mount and the resurrection? Allow me to make just a few suggestions and see if you agree with me. Number one, prepare heart and mind and soul and body to come together. So we won't, won't neglect being together. We'll, we'll come whether online or in person. And, and uh, number two, we'll come early, not late, because he calls us together to be with him. And I want to keep my appointment with him and with the church, with his body. Number three, we enter with thanksgiving. And by the way, if you want to copy these, I can send them to you. We enter with thanksgiving, and, and we employ our voice. We, we use our hands. Our, well, number four, we posture ourselves toward Toward, toward him with, with respect, whether we're lifting our hands, bowing down, kneeling, standing, sitting, 
We, we, number five, we recognize him in sign, symbol, and gesture, whether we make the sign of the cross or we fold our hands or whatever way, whether we gaze upon the cross. Like the song said this morning, behold him, look at him, look at him. We see him in the communion. We see him in one another. We see him in the scripture. We hear him in the word. Number six, we listen for his word with an intention to obey. Number seven, we bring offerings and tithes for the shared needs of the church and for the poor and the mission and for the leader's support. Number eight, we ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to overflow with the same power that they experienced on the day of Pentecost and subsequently. Number nine, we pray for spiritual gifts, tongues and prophecy and faith and healing and wisdom and discerning of spirits, just to name a few, all for the glory of God, all for the demonstration that Jesus is alive and he's among us. None of this is to impress people. None of this is to, is to try to pretend that we're something that we're not or have something that we don't possess. We're not trying to be religious. We're not trying to please some standard of religiosity. We simply come in faith day by day before his presence, morning by morning, noon, night, uh, as throughout the day. We come week by week together or midweek in, in, in some kind of small group of, accountability and prayer together like the men's meeting that meets here on Thursday night. We, we grow in our love for God and our desire to please him and spread his kingdom and it happens. It happens in us because he's alive in us. Yes. I, I am appealing to us as fellow sinners about our attitudes and our actions because Jesus did. He said, when you pray, and there's a verse in Psalm. I didn't look it up. It's around Psalm 109 or something. The, the psalmist, and if it was David who wrote it and sang it, had such closeness with God that he penned it this way in one translation, I am prayer. The mystical union between him and God was so undivided, undefined with this is where he begins and I end. No, no, we're, there's something of a union together. And I'm becoming more transparent and he's becoming more in light through me and in me. And so the things of the world that, that assail and try to push down don't have as much grab on me or as Jesus said, the prince of darkness is coming but he can't get a handle on me. He can find nothing to get a hold of. So employ the signs and the symbols and the gestures and the postures and, and the elements of worship. Employ them all at home, alone. Look forward to gathering, gathering together. Like the psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. Can you say amen? amen. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen to the New Covenant Fellowship podcast. We want to connect with you. You can visit us online at ncfokc.org for more information about our church. If God spoke to you and you'd like prayer, 
please text us at 405-518-5164 and we will get back with you. God bless and have a great day.